This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good morning, you're listening to Pressing Matters, the show where we go behind the headlines and explore issues driving the press. I'm Shazana Mukhtar. China's economic influence around the world is undeniable and uncontested. But alongside its rising economic power, Beijing has also been quietly strengthening its media presence and outreach. Freedom House issued its latest report on Beijing's global media influence recently. And joining me today to discuss some of the findings is Dr. Benjamin Lowe, Senior Lecturer at the School of Media and Communications of Taylor's University. Welcome to the show, Ben. Thank you so much, uh, Shazana, for having me on. Now, First off, walk me through the concept and aims of this particular Freedom House report. Why has it focused an entire report on China's international media outreach? Um, You know, we know that Western media has been dominant for decades, but there hasn't really been a similar investigation on their media attempts to shape global opinion. So what is this report aiming to do? Well, the Freedom House, first and foremost, Freedom House is an American-based institution. And therefore, um, America sort of like prides itself as well as the other members of the Western media. They pride themselves for freedom of the press, freedom of information. And for the most part, they feel that the close nature of China and the way that it approaches its media is a little bit alarming or concerning. And in a certain sense, the way that they're engaging with the rest of the world is relatively new compared to the other approaches that people have seen in uh, recent years. And for the most part, due to the fact that China themselves uh, closely guards the way that their media presents themselves, they are also very, they are using certain strategies and techniques to sort of influence or improve their relations towards themselves in a much more global scale. Now, China is not necessarily unique in this in this instance. We've also seen other countries, other uh, superpowers who have also tried to sort of like uh, expand this so-called soft power through the use of media. Uh, very, very recently, we started to see um, Russia actually engage in a lot of uh, Um, information campaigns with regards to the uh, Ukraine war that it's engaging at the moment. So um, in that sense, this report makes sense because, you know, the West are extremely wary of a lot of the sort of like Eastern counterparts who are suddenly expanding into the much more global space where, as you mentioned before, they were previously very, very dominant. And so it's instead of looking at it as sort of like, oh, this is a way for the West to paint uh, negative images towards sort of like the the Chinese state, essentially, it's really more about a way of trying to examine and to sort of Um, reassess the way that they're sort of engaging with the rest of the world and then to sort of see how that influence how uh, that is that influence is creeping into various states essentially and Malaysia is one of those states that's being targeted Okay so off the bat then Ben what should we understand about um, Chinese media as we go into discussing the findings of the report you mentioned that um, Chinese media uh, are are different from I suppose the typical Western media that, that tends to dominate international headlines how is how is their media landscape different? So their media landscape, well, for the most part, they follow a very, if you're following traditional uh, sort of like theories of the press, they resemble very closely to authoritarian and communist-based media environments, whereby the media are either wholly owned by the state or they are closely linked to the state, even if if they are uh, independent or private entities. While there are some independent news media in China, they are often a minority. But again, I'm not particularly an expert on the sort of like the media in China in particular. I'm focused more on the media landscape in Malaysia itself. So mm. uh, I believe you should. Uh, you can probably get a better answer from somebody who's more well-versed in that space, essentially. Mm. But maybe we should also at least understand what the difference is between state-owned media and public media, because the government is involved in both types of media mm. institutions in some way. But what makes state-owned media more pernicious? 
Well, it's often assumed, and again, this is from a very, um, I wouldn't even say it's a Western perspective. It's a very American perspective of how the media operate in the sense that um, the, the the American perspective towards media is always that the media has to be completely separate from the government. You know, like even for a lot of Malaysians, what we assume to be uh, a sort of like a state-based media in America would be things like PBS or even NPR. And even those institutions actually have no... Uh, sort of like links to any form of government that's what that's how serious they take the separation between the media the press and the government essentially mm-hmm. so uh, in that sense um Whereas from other countries, you know, there is a there is this allocation. Like for instance, you know, the BBC is considered to be state-owned, but it does have a lot of independence, which does give it more in, uh, sort of like uh, freedom to investigate uh, sort of like matters in an objective manner. Mm-hmm. Whereas in most countries that sort of like have a more uh, stricter stranglehold towards the media, more often than not, state-based media are often seen as. Uh, extensions of the government they're seen as government mouthpieces essentially mm. in that sense so I think you mentioned just now the difference between state-based media and also public media and I think the difference basically is public media would be media that essentially serves the public they don't have a um, they may actually have an ownership from the government but they are supposed to serve the public interest and that's where that distinction can be a little bit tricky to sort of define because again different countries have different approaches so for instance in Singapore um, Singapore Press Holdings uh, through the mandate of of, uh, sort of like one of their constitution um, dictates that no single entity can own more than, if I'm not mistaken, 12% of shares in it as well. So theoretically, it is a, a sort of like a public, uh, publicly owned media as a result. There's no majority owner. But mm. the way that it operates tends to sort of favor those of its the majority stakeholders, which tend to be sort of like financial institutions in Singapore as a result. Of that. Mm. So it's a it's not an easy question to answer essentially, but there's a lot of different nuances and it varies from country to country. Mm. So let's take a look at um, the findings of the report. And before we zoom into Malaysia specifically, um, I guess in general, um, the report said that in half of the countries surveyed, um, the intensity of China's media outreach efforts was high or very high. So what do you think is driving China's strategy in terms of where it concentrates media outreach efforts and what kind of narratives are commonly being put forth by Beijing? Well, from the other reports that have been presented, that I think Malaysia actually doesn't really fall into a highly vulnerable state. I think we're somewhere around the middle based on the countries that were surveyed, essentially. And it's mostly the way that we sort of see is that it's part and parcel of the greater outreach that China is doing. You know, its expansion of its soft power in recent years, primarily through its push of the Belt and Road Initiative, essentially. So a lot of the efforts that we noticed also from the other reports is that it's in intensified in countries that have heavily uh, sort of like invested into the BRI initiatives. So Malaysia is one of those countries. But Mm. um, I think as we go later into this interview, you can probably see that in Malaysia, we have a rather unique demographic circumstance that uh, changes the way that they engage with Malaysia in that sense. Let's dive into that. You know, what are your observations of Beijing's media influence here and how does it manifest itself? All right. So one of the interesting things about Malaysia is that Malaysia has the largest uh, popul- uh, percentage of population of overseas Chinese that is still a minority in the world, essentially. You know, so most times when people think about oh, largest overseas population, um, yes, in terms of pure numbers, you know, we're probably not anywhere near. But in terms of percentage of the overall population, we are actually the highest. The, on- the only one that is high would be Singapore. But in Singapore, uh, overseas Chinese represent the majority. So they basically have uh, sort of like a dominance in the political space there as well. But in Malaysia, because it's a minority, 
minority, but it's a sizable enough minority that actually allows it to have some level of agency, some level of um, sort of like um, self-reliance and even it can... Uh, it can operate in silo to a certain degree as well. And that's essentially how the Chinese media, the local Chinese media in Malaysia tend to operate in that sense, you know. Uh, when people think about the media in Malaysia, people often look at like the Malay and English media. And the Chinese media, it's its own beast, essentially, you know. It's its own ecosystem. It is incredibly large. It is incredibly influential. And as a result of that, uh, combined with the fact that, you know, in Malaysia, we previously were under a very, very strict sort of like media regime whereby, you know, we had a lot of very, very strict regulatory frameworks, which meant that uh, Malaysians who grew up in like the 80s and 90s were very, very skeptical of state-based narratives, not just mm -hmm. within the country, but also from around the world, essentially. You know, we, uh, it's probably um, a throwback to sort of like, you know, post-colonial hang-ups and this idea that, you know, we are just not trusting of governments, essentially. And as a result of that, um, the Chinese, if you notice that, as you mentioned, uh, like Xinhua does actually have a bureau here in Malaysia, but Xinhua's approach doesn't actually engage with Malaysian Chinese, essentially. You know, a lot of the news that they produce, even though they do publish it in Malaysia, it's often catered towards overseas, uh, to mainland Chinese nationals who are residing in Malaysia or uh, Chinese nationals back home who are interested in what's happening in the country, essentially. They are not really servicing um, Malaysians, essentially. So, uh, and the as a result of that, and this is something that we sort of detail in the report, the way that the Chinese state engages with local media is either through indirect links, you know, uh, the two, most of the Chinese local Chinese media in Malaysia are owned by two uh, large uh, companies, essentially, and one of them has very, very close links to the Chinese state. And as a result of that, they, a lot of the reporting tends to be more sympathetic towards Chinese state narratives, essentially. There are some um, sort of like areas where there is a bit of a clash of ideas, especially when it comes to issues related to, say, Hong Kong and Taiwan. But for the most part, many of these local Chinese media are very, very supportive of a lot of the larger um, Chinese state narratives, essentially. I'm speaking to Dr. Benjamin Lowe of Taylor's University on Beijing's Global Media Influence 2022, a report by Freedom House. We'll have more from this conversation after the break. BFM 89.9. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Pressing Matters on The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar, and with me today is Dr. Benjamin Lowe, Senior Lecturer at the School of Media and Communications of Taylor's University. We're discussing findings from a report by Freedom House on Beijing's global media influence that was released last month. Now, Ben, earlier you spoke about how Malaysian public opinions are largely sceptical of China's media narratives. And you said this is down to historical baggage of state media narratives. Could you elaborate on this? What accounts for this attitude of mistrust from Malaysian audiences? And does it cut across communities? Or is this something um, particular to, I guess, the Chinese demographic? I think for this one, again, it's going to be a complicated answer. It does, it probably does not cut through uh, sort of like different communities. Again, we don't really have a lot of research on this. We barely have anything related to sort of like trust in the media, I think. Uh, I think um, the MCMC regularly releases their biannual report on sort of the internet user surveys. And that one j just measures uh, what sources of media that people use for information, but not regards to the types of media that they consume. And the only thing we have related to sort of like... Uh, um, things, uh, information on sort of like uh, perception of China was probably a recent report produced by Mertiga Center, I think like uh, was in the middle of the year, mm -hmm. where they looked at perceptions towards China. But again, media was not part of that as well. So we don't, 
to be honest, this is a, a very, very important question and we don't actually have enough research to sort of like examine that very, very thoroughly. Mm. But for the most part, um, every community essentially has their own sort of like their own opinion leaders, their own little um, silos and echo chambers that reinforce certain values as well. And for the most part, for a lot of the non-English speaking communities, um, they often have a very strong anti-West bent. So while they may be very, very skeptical of Western narratives, essentially, they are also tend to be more sympathetic towards more um, non-Western powers essentially, which is why if you notice also with regards to the Ukraine war, there are a lot of um, communities in Malaysia, if you, if you examine online spaces, are actually quite pro-Russian in their stances essentially. Mm. And as we discuss this then, how people maybe lean towards some sources of information more than others, how worried then are you about distorted content being transmitted to media audiences here from Chinese media? I mean, is that are the, do we see a lot of these incidents? For this one, if you actually want to see a very, very well-documented report to sort of examine how that happened, uh, Malaysia Kini actually published a report, I believe it was last year, looking at how Chinese disinformation campaigns propagated through a lot of the local Chinese media, essentially. So it's a very, very in-depth report. If you want to see one of the pathways that was used, essentially, that's that would be a report. I would recommend anybody sort of like pick up and read. From the research that we did for this report, essentially, one of the ways that the Chinese state actually tries to push forward their narratives, and this is where it sort of tells me that a lot of our local media are quite... Uh, they understand that it's actually they have to be very careful with how they present Chinese narrative because if it's mm. uh, if it becomes obvious that it's coming from the Chinese state then again people will be a little bit more skeptical towards it so the approach that we've been sort of like led to believe is essentially they use a lot of what we call um, informal approaches so mm. one of the ways in which the Chinese state heavily engages with local media or local stakeholders is by having these so-called closed door luncheons where they invite members from the media members from uh, political parties to sort of attend and essentially um, um, the way that uh, this was ex was explained to me was that it's supposed to be an information sharing session between uh, members of the Chinese embassy, the Chinese state, to with um, sort of like these stakeholders in Malaysia. And this is often where they also try to sort of present their narratives. And mm -hmm. what was impressed upon me was that uh, many of these Chinese state officials would try to present their viewpoints and they hope that local media sort of pick it up in that sense. Now, that's a very, very indirect, very, very, very soft approach. And for the most part, um, Local Chinese media will often pick up many of these things, especially when when it's something that doesn't seem to have a huge impact on Malaysia in particular. They will be very happy to carry it, essentially. But for a lot of issues which are a little bit more sensitive or a little bit more... Um, sort of like contention. So things like South China Sea, they tend to be, uh, they will be very careful with how they present their narrative because they understand the implications of bilateral issues as a result of that. But um, I mean, that's just one pathway. Another way, of course, would be that certain media that do depend a lot on sort of like um, advertising that comes from uh, China, especially, you know, like Chinese tourism and all that, those are also very, um, they are vulnerable media that are probably going to change the way that they present certain things. Mm. But for the most part, if you, one of the big things that we saw in the report, and this is something that is quite cuts across many other countries as well, is that a lot of local media, whenever they are presenting news about China, tend to rely on the use of uh, news wires to present those news, essentially. You know, there's often very little sort of like original reporting in that sense. And I think, so when they're presenting news that comes from these news wires, they uh, often can present them even critical news towards China. You know, the understanding is that we are not being critical towards China, but rather we're just presenting news that's available elsewhere and we're just republishing it for local news. So uh, in this sense, this is where a lot of the English and Malay um, online news, they were they would 
uh, sort of like focus on publishing more critical news towards China, whereas a lot of the local Chinese media tended to reduce their coverage on many of these stories, essentially. I see. So in in one ways, we still have quite a wide um, representation of other sources in stories about China. But um, I, I guess if we're looking at original reporting on China, that's lacking from yes. our media organizations. Uh, yes. I mean... One of the big issues that we really saw some more original reporting where they really looked at like local uh, stakeholders would really be the Xinjiang issue. That was really one of a, uh, that was probably an issue that had the most uh, engagement from local media, not just I, actually for this one, Chinese local Chinese media really did not engage with it as well. And one uh, scholar explained to me that essentially um, rather than look at it as sort of like it's an active role that they're choosing not to engage with it, uh, it was often explained to me that most local Chinese communities just didn't see that as a core issue that they needed to focus on, which is mm-hmm. why it was mostly carried by mostly the English and especially the Malay uh, news, essentially. Hmm. What do you make of this fragmentation, Ben? The fact that different news medias are car- carrying different types of news and different types of perspectives about um, these issues involving China? Well, whenever you see this sort of like news fragmentation in any sort of country, right, it's often seen as being a huge problem, essentially, because it means that you've essentially got schisms in your society. And if you don't sort of like manage those schisms very well, that can actually lead to certain to deeper fracturing as a result of that. You know, you know, you can see different types of identities that essentially can form that are uh, sort of like completely, they can even be fringe and completely uh, be separate from everything else, essentially. So um, news media is actually one very, very important factor in that sense. So um, while I'm not sort of like advocating that we need to sort of unify sort of like the media space, because I think that carries its own set of problems that come associated with it. Mm. But it is something that we definitely need to be mindful of. And I think um, with regards to the way that news operates or the way that the media engages with itself, this is where there needs to be a more unifying body. And um, and I think one of the big things that I as a media scholar often advocate for is that we need to form a proper media council in this country. This is something that, you know, um, the previous, well, the technically the previous two governments were <laughs> apparently pushing for and, you know, it has stalled for such a long time. And I suppose now with elections coming around the corner, that really needs to come center stage as well because we really need to have a more focused approach to trying to regulate our media space through self-regulation, essentially. Mm-hmm. Finally then, Ben, what um, what are you hoping that people take away from this report? I guess if you wanted to give the cliff notes of, of uh, key points that you want highlighted from this report, what would that be? I think it's just... Uh, interesting to note that, you know, um, from this report that China is a country that does sort of heavily engage in Malaysia. And I think uh, we do have a lot of um, cultural and traditional roots that are linked together that keep us that we're two very, very intertwined countries together. But at the same time, it's important to sort of like broaden your uh, perspective and to make sure that you're not just getting news from one angle as well. So as I mentioned, the approach that we see with regards to certain um, issues that are sensitive towards China is that there's often under-reporting that's happening in a lot of the local Chinese media. So it's important to not just read your source from like a single language, but to also uh, read from other uh, sources as well. And I think that's um, I think that's something that really has, has emerged as a result of us living in this sort of like social media environment whereby um, it's very easy for everybody to follow 
all into your own little uh, tiny echo chambers and filter bubbles, essentially. And it's important to try to um, diversify your access to information, either by looking at news that you wouldn't normally look at as well, or to at least try to hear perspectives that you've written off before as being fringe, because you never know actually when um, that's actually a more objective perspective that you never realized before. Fascinating stuff, Ben. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. All right. Thank you so much, Azana, for having me. I've been speaking to Dr. Benjamin Lowe of Taylor's University on the findings of Beijing's Global Media Influence 2022, a report by Freedom House. You can read the full report by going to freedomhouse.org. This has been Pressing Matters on The Morning Run. Coming up next is the 10 a.m. News Bulletin, and then it's over to Enterprise. BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.